Thanks, Eileen. Thank you very much. Good afternoon on this Thursday afternoon. How are you? 51551 Ray at RTE.ie. Um, it's difficult to make sense of what happened uh, in Tullamore at four o'clock yesterday. Um, and uh, it's difficult to find words. Um, and we're all going through it together. But of course, more acutely, Ashling's family and friends and our thoughts are with them and the staff of Durham National School and the pupils there. And then all the people who Ashling would have touched throughout her life. I'm thinking about she played sports, team sports. She was a member of Ballyboy, uh, Coldus Kjol Tory. She would have been in sessions all over the place uh, playing the fiddle. Uh, all of those people, all of those people who knew Ashling and spent time with her, our thoughts are with you. Uh, and the people who came upon Ashling yesterday evening, um, our thoughts are with you as well. Uh, it's When I heard the reports first, um, I thought there must have been a mistake. Like it was four o'clock, it was still daylight. Um, Jennifer O'Connell is writing in the Irish Times, um, and I'll just read the opening paragraph to you. Ashling Murphy was doing what countless other people in Ireland also did yesterday, mostly without giving it a second thought. On a bright, clear January afternoon, in an achingly beautiful part of the country, she was going for a run. The fact that this luminous young woman will never come home is an unfathomable tragedy, made sharper by the sheer ordinariness of her actions yesterday afternoon. And the fact that a route brought her along Fiona's way, named in honour of missing woman Fiona Pender. She came home from her job as a primary school teacher. She decided to go for a run. By tea time, she was dead. And... Like I was in two Zoom meetings this morning and you've been encountering people and everybody wants to talk about it but doesn't know what to say. And and there's shock, and there's anger, there's upset, there's fear, um, tears. Like 23-year-old primary school school teacher out for a run, a fiddle. We, like, when will this end? Like, we, we ask ourselves that and, and we're all touched for various reasons. We're, 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 we're dads or we're, we're mothers or we're sisters or we're whatever, aunties, uncles, whatever. Um, and this, this we've had this chat before, lads. We've been here before. How do we end the cycle? Because monkey see, monkey do. And if there's a generation of men that think a certain way and act a certain way towards women, they have sons and those sons see how their fathers behave and they, you know, they emulate it. That's it. That's what happens. That's the way of the world. But today, how do, how do we make sense of it? And and we we thought that listening to Liveline and listening to Brian Dobson talking to the the, the principal of Durham National School, that maybe we we would get somebody who could maybe talk us through it uh, and try and help us to make sense of what we're experiencing. So uh, psychologist Neve Fitzpatrick uh, is on the line. How are you doing, Neve? Hi, Ray. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks so much for taking our call today. Um, we thought of you, uh, Neve, because you're a psychologist, but also because you have experienced national grieving and shock um, and, and, and your family was at the centre of it. So you, you've given this a lot of thought and, you, and you've written about it. So we, we're really appreciative that you came on and, and are willing to talk to us today. So, so what's happening today in, in the community out there, do you think, Neve? I suppose the first thing I, I have to say when it comes to anything like this is we must acknowledge the pain. And, and for me, I'd like to extend my condolences to Ashling's family, her friends, her colleagues, her pupils, everybody. It's just, it's immense. And what's happening is really shock is the first thing that happens because anybody who, if we just take, if we take Ashling's world, anybody who is in Ashling's world, their life has changed. Their life has changed. It becomes a before and it becomes an after. And there's a loss of innocence in that, in, in what has happened. You know, Ashling going out to do something, as Jennifer said, so ordinary that so many other people did yesterday. I think even on Twitter, I saw somebody who had posted um, a photo, you know, of a canal that they did a run on mm. during that day. So many people doing so much ordinary things. And then this young woman doesn't come back. So there's a shock. What happens now with this first is an immense shock. Um, and I think you used the word earlier, senseless. It's just, it's so senseless. So that's why our minds now are trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. But that shock is what comes in first. 
Yeah. Uh, and people are chatting uh, and, and, and people are imagining. And, and when you imagine, you go to places that you probably don't want to go. Like uh, me as a dad of a 15-year-old girl, I'm going to places that I don't want to go. And that, that's happening for people all over the country um, and, and, and women who uh, like probably have thought about it, but now they're going to think about it a lot more and they're, they're going to be stricken by fear and they're going to change their behaviour. Um, and, and and what do you say to them? What do, like how do you cope with that that fear? Like it's it's visiting us now. It's on our doorstep. Like we were we talked before had this chat when when Sarah Everard was murdered, and but yet although it was across only across the Irish Sea, it was at a remove. This is not at a remove from us. And you see, that's what's so hard about this is the idea that bad things can happen to good people. And that in, and, and, and that bit, even that it was at four o'clock, it was in the day. We have this idea that, you know, bad things happen, terrible things happen in the dark, you know, something, something deep and dark. And this was literally in daylight and it just makes no sense. So I suppose that bit about, you know, what people are thinking, and I don't think you have to be, I'm not saying you were saying that in any way, but I don't think you have to be a parent or you have to no. be a sister or have to be a student to feel this. If you're a human being, and you think about this young woman who is living her life and what's really happened is it's a life cut short. It's a life robbed. It's a future robbed for all who love her. So is it natural and understandable for people then to start looking at their own loved ones and their own lives and say, what do we do now? You know, should should we change our behaviours? Do we need to change our behaviours? Do we need to mind ourselves in different ways and think about things that we wouldn't have thought about before when we go out walking or running? And of course, the issue about that is for women, um, it's something that women would have, oh, we've talked about this before, how women will consider safely, safety in a way that, say, for example, men mightn't. And this isn't about pitting men about against women. It's nothing like that. So I would say there's several levels to that. And one of the levels is, yes, for sure, if you're a woman and you are out and about, we the reality and the sad truth and the reality is we do have to, you know, mm. make maybe some changes in some of the things that we might have been doing. But the other part of this is, as a society, we need to end this savagery. And this is this is what we must do. We must look and see what are the ways, and that's not my job to do, it's no. not my place, but what are the ways that we need to make changes as a society in order to be able to have a situation where any citizen can go about their business and be safe in doing so. We must change that. So is it, is it understandable on a human level if people are asking themselves those questions now? Yes, it is. And, and and as a man, and, and nobody really wants to hear this, maybe, but but like I feel ashamed and, and I'm going, why can't we cop on? And, and, and cop on is too small a word. Mm. Um, and men are, you know, they're going through a, a, a bit of, you know, trying to find out what's going on in their heads today. They don't know what, the, they maybe don't know the right thing to say to the, the women in their lives. Well, let me tell you, as a man, all any man needs to say about this or to a woman in their life about this situation really is to extend condolences to Ashling's family. And they are mm. the most important people at the moment in this process, in this situation. And if you're a man, the only thing you need to do right now is to be there as a human, as a compassionate human being and 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 extend your condolences to this family mm. who has lost their loved one. In terms of the women in your life, ask them, listen to them find out what they need and maybe that you know that's all you need to do and you certainly I don't in any way and I, there's most women I think would say or a lot of women would say no man needs to feel shamed about this this isn't as I said it's not about pitting men against women but there was somebody who responded to my post this morning uh, when I just extended condolences to the Murphy family and it was a man and he responded to me and he said I ask, where are you going and when will you be back? And he's asking that, he's telling me that he's asking that to a woman mm. in his life when she goes out for her run or whatever. And so this fear for women's safety, and of course there's fear for men's safety too, we must say that, I understand that. But this, in this instance, this fear for women's safety, it's a fear not only held by women, but it's a fear held by men 
who love women in their life. So as a man, what I would say to you is turn towards the women in your life and talk to them and listen to them and say, what can I do? What can we do? What do you need? They're good starting places yeah. now. Um, I was just saying that when I was about six, seven, eight, there was a, a lady murdered in the locality, Kildare Town. And I still think about that now, 50 years on. Um, yeah. So I, I, I really am, and I think that's coming through in what a lot of people are saying, obviously, uh, Ashling's family. Um, but the description of her relationship with her pupils, it sounded like a beautiful thing. Um, she she yeah. was, somebody said, she was their world. Yeah, and you see what happens here in a situation like this is there's such ripples. So Ashling's family love her. I saw somebody texting or writing earlier about that they loved her. They didn't love her. They love her and they continue and mm. will continue to love her as well as her her colleagues or her students. And so those relationships that those students have with Ashling. They that has been cut short and it's such a defining moment in their lives to, to this bit I said earlier about how something so bad can happen to somebody so good. So just like you with that situation when you were younger, this is likely to be something that will stay with those children for the rest of their lives as a moment in their lives because they love Ashling because she has had such an impact in their short lives even so far. So the ripples of this are immense. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, the school have asked the parents to talk to their children about it as opposed to, you know, it been said through the school. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we need to be there for each other and hug each other. And uh, we need, I, th I think, I think um, we have these chats every time. And, you know, when Gillian Marr uh, was murdered in Australia, we had the chats. And, and unfortunately, things don't seem to change that much. Um, so, and they're uncomfortable chats, um, uh, but we need to keep them going um, all the time if we want to uh, implement real change, I think, in men's behaviour. Um, and, it, and it is about changing men's behaviour and attitudes. Yeah. And again, I, I saw a tweet from Maliki Clerken this morning and he had posted an article that he had written about this a year ago. And he said something to the effect of if we don't acknowledge it, we will never change it. And it's exactly what you say there, Ray. We must speak about these difficult things. We must speak about them. And we it's only through speaking about them and that we're going to do something that's going to have a change happen. Whereas I said, every citizen should be able to go out and to live their lives safely. Mm. Um, so we must have these conversations. And, and I do think one other thing that's important to say is for the Murphy family, knowing that the nation is grieving with them and walking alongside them, they don't feel that same pain. They, un they understand we don't feel their pain. But knowing that they're there and the support and the outpouring is there, there will be some balm or some soothing that will come to that family from that at some point. So for people maybe feeling now helpless, what can we do? How can we help the, the vigils or the cards or the letters or anything like that or, or practical things that you might be able to do for them now? They can be huge help for those people who love Ashling. And I think that's important to say. Neve, thanks. Thanks so much. Mind yourself. You're welcome. Uh, I keep thinking about her class at school today as well. That's from a fellow teacher, RIP Ashling, and I'm so angry that we're still here, says Orla, uh, that we're still having to rethink the ordinary things, that we have to think about running our usual routes. I have a 15-month-old girl and it saddens me beyond belief that her world is unsafe when it should be safe for her to do the things she loves. Uh, rest in peace, Ashling. Condolences and love to your devastated family. And of daughters aged 16 and 19, I'm terrified every time they're out after dark. I have to constantly be in touch with them on the phone to make sure they're safe. Such a terrible way to live. And Kate Brennan-Harding has been on to say there's a vigil in Galway this evening for Ashling Murphy. And uh, it's uh, anybody who wants to shine a light to come to Air Square, six o'clock. That's from Kate Brennan-Harding. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Email ray at rte.ie. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1.
Now, Georgie Crawford has been on the show before, speaking to us about going through breast cancer after being diagnosed at the age of 32. Um, And that was just months after uh, welcoming her first child into the world, Pia. Uh, In those years, Georgie has put all her focus into wellness. This is since her diagnosis and built a following, sharing her inspirational story and positive mindset. Uh, Recently, Georgie announced that after a long road, herself and her husband, Jamie, are going to have a second child through surrogacy. And Georgie joins us now in studio to tell us more. Afternoon, Georgie. Good afternoon, Ray. Thanks for having me. And I'm sure like the rest of the country, you've been touched by um, the murder of Ashley Murphy. Mm, and um, I think your last guest, uh, Neve, spoke so well when she said, you know, the nation is grieving today. And I think all women and, of course, men are just devastated. Absolutely devastated. There's no words. No, there are no words. You're right. Um so Pia is what age, your little daughter? She is four. She's four, yeah. right? Okay, you, you're crying. You're, you're crying there, and that's yeah. I shed some tears this morning, and we had two tear-filled Zoom calls this morning. Um, it's it's just yeah. There, there are no words. Um, so we can only imagine what it's like for her family. Uh, so Pia is four, and I was just saying in the intro there. So Pia was what age when you were diagnosed with cancer? She was seven months. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and yourself and, and Jamie had discussed, I suppose, like people do when they're uh, setting out in life together, what sort of a family they're going to have. And you discussed what, how many, did, had you, you'd had that discussion, had you? Yeah. yeah. So we, we always, I always wanted a big family. Um, I never had a sister, you know, of two gorgeous brothers, but I always wanted a sister and um, I always dreamed that I'd have a few girls and uh, when Pia was born I suppose I was I was one of those people that was always thinking about the next thing in life and you know on my wedding day I was wondering about when we were going to have children and then when I was lucky enough to hold my gorgeous baby in my arms I wondered when I'd have the next and I suppose life came along and my whole world crumbled and I suppose I had to really learn the hard way to appreciate every minute and not be so worried about looking ahead all the time. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, my doctors advised me to go into a round of IVF to save some eggs because we didn't know what impact the chemotherapy was going to have on my fertility. Yeah. Uh, So you uh, stored embryos. Yes. I'm just interested before we get on to that about you because you, you you sort of described it very eloquently there about uh, being, and you were you were young and you were always thinking about the next thing yeah and, and that's you know and and we think when we're young that that's the way to live life and it was only when you got that life changing diagnosis of breast cancer that you you saw the world differently yeah and I I speak about this Ray like I would sit in my back garden uh, with not one single strand of hair on my body in a dressing gown in the middle of the afternoon. And that's really where I did a lot of my healing. And um, I suppose for the first time in my life, I had time. So I always rushed around onto the next thing. And when I had that time, I started to really think about how I wanted to live my life. And I kind of acknowledged that I really cared about myself and loved myself and wanted to live for my family. So having that time really taught me um, a lot about who I was and and what sort of person I wanted to be going forward. Um, and I suppose we always have to learn a lot of things the hard way, don't yes, we? Yes, so. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you learned uh, self-compassion um, and self-love. And it, I, that's a difficult one. A lot of it, I've read so much about it and people talk about it and they spout it off as if we should all be able to love ourselves and be compassionate to ourselves. Easy to say, a lot more difficult to do, I think. And particularly as Irish people, because... You know, I remember back as a, as a kid, the worst thing you could be was a, you know, a sure case, a big headed, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who actually liked themselves and never been told that's what we need to do. And I suppose as well, like we're so used to taking care of everybody else. And when I became a mum, all my attention went to my baby. I lived on four coffees a day. Um, I, I would look at myself in the mirror before I got sick in the lead up to my diagnosis. And I kept saying that I didn't recognise myself right. and there was something wrong. And, you know, what's different about me? Um, But I just pushed that 
thought out of my head again and again because I was in survival mode. Mm. I wanted to thrive. I wanted to look like I could do it all. Um, so, yeah, I suppose we, we do look after everybody else all the time. So taking that time to kind of stop and and do things for yourself is, is often a very difficult step for lots of people. And when the chat came up from your, your consultant that uh, you should do IVF, that that makes it sound serious, doesn't it? Mm, I remember thinking, I have a seven-month-old baby. How could I possibly go into a round of IVF right now? And Jamie, my husband, is so supportive and incredibly amazing. And he said, like, I really think we should do it. And I'm a bit more of a risk taker. I was like, I'm sure we'll be fine. I'll be grand. And he was like, I really think, Georgie, you should really consider this and I'm really glad we did we went in to the IVF I said okay if you do all the reading up about things you line up the injections I was like I'm dealing with the cancer I can't even think about this so it was it was a real great bit of teamwork and I felt really lucky to have his support around that time because if I was say for example if I had been single I don't think I would have done it. Mm. Uh, and the thinking is that the treatment is it the, the cancer treatment affects your fertility. Yeah, so I, my ovaries had an 80% chance of survival through through the chemotherapy and I thought they were pretty good odds. So, um, you know, doing the IVF and we had a six-week window be, between my surgery and the chemotherapy starting. So we did have time to do it, uh, which not all people get. Um, so we just decided to go for it. Okay. And I'm really glad we did. Okay, so so you did well with the cancer. Yes. yes. Yeah. So where are you at now? So I, they don't really like to use the term cancer free a lot. I've, I've realised from doctors, um, but I had my latest scan in November and technically I'm, I suppose you could say I'm four years cancer free at this point. Okay. Now, what options do you have then when it comes to having another child? So I was put on a drug called tamoxifen in my recovery. So in October 2018, I went on a cancer drug called tamoxifen. And my doctor said, look, we'd really like you to go on this drug for five years, but we understand you're a young girl. If you want to come off that drug after two years, you can try to have a baby yourself because they don't advise you to have a baby while you're on tamoxifen. So I could have given up my cancer drug for us to try naturally for a baby. But during the first lockdown, myself and Jamie and I sat down with my my mom and my stepdad and we really had a good chat. And I said, look, I, I don't I'm not comfortable coming off my cancer drug. And I was so supported in that decision. Um, so we decided to look at other options. OK. And those options, as they were laid out in front of you, were what? Um, surrogacy, um, I suppose adoption. Um, you know, I, I suppose like, I'll be really honest with you. I used to look around at people and wonder if maybe I could ask them to to carry a baby yes. for me. Um, but under the legislation in Ireland, if we did domestic surrogacy, that lady would be uh, the mother of the child. So it didn't feel like a safe thing to do. It didn't feel like a fair thing to ask anybody to do. So we decided to pursue international okay. surrogacy. So, so you were eyeing up people. Yeah. <laughs> Unknowns to them. <laughs> 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 waiting for someone to offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll talk more about the legislation around surrogacy uh, in Ireland, which is nil, uh, in a moment. But first, your story. So uh, the options then, when you put in surrogacy into Google, mm-hmm. what comes up? Ads, I would imagine, for various clinics, do they? Do you know what, Ray? I, I never Googled it. Did you not? I, I, I Googled breast cancer when I was waiting for my results and I literally collapsed that night and I haven't referred to Google for something like that since so I started to talk to people and I was interviewing a podcast guest and she gave me the name of a solicitor in Ireland called Annette Hickey who is a guardian angel for many families around the country and I decided to just talk to Annette. She has the experience in this area. So Annette kind of talked us through everything, put us in touch with clinics and we went from there. Okay. So where were your embryos being stored? They were in the beacon. In the beacon, right. Yeah. Uh, And they're they're frozen at some ridiculously low temperature and they're there. Yeah. Do you have to pay for for them to keep them? 
Yes, yes. We, we yeah we get a, a a bill every year. It's it's not it's huge, not but, it's but, not too huge. Yes, yeah, okay. So in in speaking to Annette and she probably puts you in touch with other people. You found your way to Ukraine. Yeah, especially through Rosanna Davison as well, sharing her story when she, I heard that she um, went to Ukraine. I thought, oh, maybe this is an option for us because I hadn't really heard anybody else speaking about it. So, uh, yeah, we decided on Ukraine and in August after really pursuing it for eight months and getting the paperwork in order, um, our embryos made their way to Ukraine. They were brought over by... uh, Two guys, we got the report, um, who came to Ireland to collect them and brought them over for us. On a plane? Yeah. They go on, on as far as I know, on normal flights. Right. Do they put, I'm, I'm just intrigued by this, do they put them, do they book a, a seat for them or in the hold? They may sit on their laps. Oh, they may not sit on their laps. Okay. But, right. um, we got the report to say like they didn't go through the x-ray machines or anything yes. like that. Right. Uh, we got the name of the two guys. I googled them and I looked <laughs> them up. Um, but I couldn't quite believe that my six little embryos had made this you know, I sit at the traffic lights outside the beacon all the time and I look up and I and I think of my embryos and I couldn't believe that they had come out of that hospital, sat at the traffic lights and made their way all the way to yeah. Ukraine. And and I it was I didn't expect to feel as emotional as I did that day. I, I didn't expect to feel anything that day, but I, I kind of crumbled around that time. And then the surrogate mother. How how was that selection process done? So our clinic in the Ukraine, um, they have a number of um, surrogate mothers and um, they're evaluated and um, psychologically assessed. And then you are presented with a surrogate mother. And, you know, they had said to us, you know, people don't usually say no when when we give them um, a surrogate mother's profile. Mm. And Annette had said to me, you know, you'll know, you'll know when you see Uh, this lady if she's the right one for you and she was absolutely right because I I just knew. Have you met her? I haven't met her. Right. I probably won't meet her until uh, she's delivering our baby. That's a big thing isn't it? Yeah well we will we'll meet on Zoom and I'll you know we'll be there for the scans uh, via video link Um, but the the first time I will probably meet this lady is when she will hand me my child. Okay. And do you know, has she acted as a surrogate before? She has. She has, right. Um, And she is paid by the clinic. Well, you ultimately, you pay her. Yeah, so it was really important for me to know that this lady would be treated well. And I have to say, when I found out that she had been through this process before, it was... It was really um, very reassuring to know that she had obviously had a nice experience and Mm. had come back to do it again. Do you know anything of her circumstances? Yes. So um, she's got children. Um, So in Ukraine, surrogate mothers have to have their own child before they can become a surrogate. Uh, She, you know, she told us about her job the reason why she's doing it, uh, what, you know, the atmosphere in her family is like, uh, in her home, who supports her. It was, I really didn't expect to feel as connected to this lady as I did. But after reading her profile, I just felt like she was an angel that had come into our life. And she was matched to you as recently as December, was it Christmas Eve or the day before before Christmas Eve? 23rd of December. So you have her name, you have her photograph, you'll be contacting her on Zoom. And, and when does the implantation process begin? Um, in Within the next four weeks. OK. Yeah. So please, God, they then she'll be scanned after two weeks. We'll see, you know, if it was successful um, and hopefully we will have a baby by the end of the year. Please, God. Right. It's It's nearly surreal, isn't it? That all of this is happening at a good distance from you, but it's it's you and Jamie's embryo, mm. your genes, all I the s- way over in Ukraine in, in, in this woman. You know? Yeah, I remember when I was pregnant with Pia and I always go to bed before Jamie and he used to wake me up when he was going to bed and say, when was the last time you felt her kick? 
And I would say, oh, my God, will you just leave me alone? I'm just trying to sleep here. And I'd say, oh, 20 minutes ago. Um, so now when I think that I will be going to bed at night and my baby will be in somebody else's tummy um, in a different country, it's it's hard to know how I'm going to feel. Yeah. You, you, it's difficult to imagine you won't know until you're there. Yeah, and I think... And it's not a, it's it's not an experience you can talk to many people about. No, and and I think as well, you know, with my cancer journey, there's so many unexpected emotions that come with every step of a cancer journey that, you know, I thought when I finished chemotherapy that I'd jump out up out of the seat and be on and be so happy and and think that it was over, but. It wasn't. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you just leave and you put your ticket in the machine and you drive home and nothing really changes. So I know that there's going to be so many emotions that are unexpected along this journey, too. And you have to cope with those uh, and and navigate through them. Now, because your sort of entry point to this, for want of a better phrase, was through Annette Hickey, a solicitor, she would have informed you about all the legals. Mm -hmm. So as you understand them, what are they? So uh, it's very complicated, but um, so despite the child having my DNA, as soon as we touch down in Dublin airport, please God, with our baby in our arms, I will become a legal stranger to that child. And after two years, and this is... this is just roll back a little bit. Yeah. What happens in Ukraine before you leave with the baby, everything going according to plan. So do they do any sort of legals on it? Yeah, so uh, Jamie will do a DNA DNA test to make sure that 99.9% the baby is, uh, he is the father. And once we get the DNA test, we're issued with emergency papers to get home. Right. And why why aren't you, why doesn't it do a DNA test on you? I don't know. Uh, in Ukraine, I will be the child's mother. So the surrogate has no legal right to our child. So I think it must be something to do with the fact that coming home here, Jamie is the father on the birth cert. Um, and then I have no legal relationship with the child. So correct me if I'm wrong here. So you land in Dublin airport. Uh, Jamie has scientific proof that he is the biological father of this child. Yes. He hasn't given birth to it. No. No. And you are, as you say, a stranger in the eyes of the law. Yeah, and that's despite, like, that child is the same as Pia in terms of yes. me and Jamie. Yes, yeah. yes. You're married, yes. gene pool, all that sort of thing. Yes. yes. Yeah. But in the eyes of the law, not. Very, very different. Yeah, so in the eyes of the law, um, I have nothing to do with that baby. And then after two years, with Jamie's permission... I can apply to be a guardian of the child. Now, what is the difference between a guardian and being a parent? So a guardian is when you're 18, then that relationship ends. So you become a legal stranger again. So if you're a parent, you're you're forever a parent. But if you're a guardian, that contract, I suppose, is up when, when that child turns 18. And that has implications for inheritance down the road and all yes, that sort of thing. Yes. Could you adopt the child? At the moment, no, because um, Annette, I was on the phone to Annette yesterday and she said that adoption is not recognised until there is uh, surrogacy legislation. Okay, and I've been looking at surrogacy legislation. There's a bill in place since 2017 and in that bill, if I understand it correctly, there is no um, there is no planned legislation for people like yourself who uh, go through a surrogacy uh, process in a different country. Yeah. Is, is that your understanding as well? Yeah, so I, I know that there is now a joint directors committee set up. They're looking at uh-huh. recognising international surrogacy. That's going That process is going to start in February and it could take up to three months. So this is why I decided to come out and talk about the surrogacy because, you know, I thought it was really important. I, I'm supported by so many women and within my Good Glow community and I just felt like this is too much of an issue not to say something. Okay. Now, they do plan uh, all sorts of legislation around surrogacy in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that was in place when you and Jamie were deciding what to do, you you could have done it here. 
So you wouldn't have had to go to Ukraine. Yeah, but yeah. as it stands, you know, yes. it's very unsafe. Yeah. And so so the, the greatest minds, um, legal minds and medical minds got together back in 2005 and they put together the report of the Commission on Assisted Human Reproduction. So that's, it's April 2005. I'm just looking at the cover sheet there. So that's 17 years ago in a couple of months. Yeah. So it's not as if this has come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, we all knew the world was changing and what people could do and would do to have a family was changing. Um, and yet, 17 years on, we still have no legislation. It's a, it's a, it's a legal vac- a legal void. Mm. Yeah. And I think, Ray, like, you know, I'm in a very happy marriage, but who knows what may happen? And this is the reason why I wanted to say something about it, because how many women have been left or are being left in a really vulnerable um, and helpless situation yet again? You know, even I used to trail run, you know, in the mountains. I don't do that anymore. I don't feel safe. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming home with my baby in my arms and I don't feel like I have any protection. I have to, you know, um, if Jamie could change his mind about our marriage and he could decide that he doesn't want to sign the papers to let me become a legal guardian of the child, like anything could happen. Um, so I just think it's so important. And, and I was so surprised by how many people who don't need to go down the surrogacy route got on board and started to support all of the families like mine, because I think people were outraged to find out, you know, about what's really going on for people. And for a lot of people, what you're going through would be out of their financial reach, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's, it's expensive. It's really expensive. Yeah. And I feel so... Uh, privilege to be able to afford surrogacy um, because I know that it's just not an option for lots of people. Mm. Um, that, that, that description of you and Jamie waking up in the middle of the night and asking, you know, when was the last time that what turned out to be Pia had, had kicked in your tummy and not having it this time, that, that you're going to have to grapple with that, aren't you? It's, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to really um, probably like go back to counselling, um, find some ways to cope. Um, I think myself and Jamie will need help um, in terms of navigating this time together and staying strong and staying united. Um, it's, I think we're facing a pretty tough year, but hopefully, mm. uh, you know, we will get our dream of, of having a baby. And it, you've talked to other families who've been through this, I yes. presume. Yes. Uh, and have they given you some sort of solace? Have they, they, they put your mind at ease about it? Yeah. And, and uh, I went to the doll where there was, uh, everyone was standing outside and we were, uh, you know, around the time in October where we we're calling for international surrogacy to be recognised. And Ray, there were so many babies and buggies and happy mums and, if, you know, these women like have been through enough, you know, to, mm. to, to get to that point. Often there's been so many rounds of IVF that haven't been successful. This is their last option. They saved every single penny. And to think that, you know, when they come home with their baby in their arms and they're on the tarmac in Dublin airport, that it's not over for them. And what about, because you, you, you exist a lot on social media, etc. And, and I know when we've chatted about this on radio over the years, you, you get people saying, well, that's not the natural way, you know, mm. whatever, whatever that means. But, mm. but have you got that sort of negativity? Um, I've, I'm really supported by people. Uh, I got one message to say, you're ridiculous, come off your cancer drug and have your baby yourself. Right. And there's always going to be one, isn't there? Mm. Um, but I think people are so supportive nowadays and, you know, um, people, I, I think everyone has a story, don't they? And I think especially fertility, I think we're doing a great job of talking about it a little bit more. And um, I've mostly been absolutely embraced by people. Uh, best of luck, Georgie. I've followed you for quite a while on Instagram. Hope all goes well for you. Um, so keep in touch and, and, and let us know and good luck with everything. Thanks. And, and thanks for covering this because it's really important for lots of families around the country. But does it does it make any difference? <laughs> you wonder, you know, because uh, like uh, that that report from 17 years ago, we spoke about that on the radio probably 
you know, 14, 15 years ago for the first yeah. time. And th- we're still talking about it now. Mm. Nothing. Well, we have Annette Hickey now and we there's no Hickey. better okay, woman. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, Georgie, thanks so much. Uh, say hello to Jamie for us. Thank and you. give Pia a little hug for us as well. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Text 51551. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Oh, Ray at RTE.ie. There's a headline that caught my attention today in the Irish Independent. €816,000 in change left at toll booths by motorists. Uh, to have a look at this, uh, where your 10 cents is going and whether there can be savings to be had by getting a toll tag, motoring consumer and transport journalist with the Sunday Independent, Geraldine Herbert is on the line. How are you doing, Geraldine? Hi, Ray. See, I was one of those people who thought that when I threw the two euro in for the 170 toll, that I should have got a thumbs up or a smile or something, you know, in return. But I got nothing. And I know, it's <laughs> terrible, isn't it? And you're, you're not alone. I mean, 816,000, it's an extraordinary amount of money. Now, that breaks down, it actually breaks down in terms of 429,000 in 2020 and 387,000 from January to October of last year. And the most lucrative road for the excess tolls was the M1 motorway. Now, that's the road that connects Dublin to Dundalk and 143,000 was left at the toll gates by drivers there. Uh, and this is uh, now in the coffers of the Transport Infrastructure Ireland? No, it's not, not actually Transport who? Infrastructure Ireland because I was in touch with them. They said it's actually with the operators. Now, what the operators do with this excess money, I have no idea. I have tried to find out, but I haven't got an answer yet. But that's where it is. It's with each of the operators. That's a good chunk of cash, isn't it, Jody? 816,000. It's a huge amount of money. It's amazing. But I, you know, it's probably very small amounts that each person is leaving, yes. but like it certainly adds up, to it, you know, and, and something constructive could be done with it. Now, now, you've been looking at the various tolls around the country. Are, have they all been rounded up or will we continue to give them more than we should? No, you see, there was toll increases, um, price increases this year. Now, this was the first time since 2013, but this will probably put a stop to it because a lot of the reason I'd say there was, there was such an amount left behind was a lot of the tolls were 190. Yes. Now, most people, Ray, are not going to go with a handful of change to the toll booth. You're probably going to go with a two euro coin. So you can see how that happens. Now, most of those are two euros from January the 1st. And also the M4 was 290. Again, you're probably not going to have the 290. You're going to have three. So hopefully the, the toll charges are actually good news because we probably have been paying them in advance anyway. And what's the most efficient way um, to, to pay your toll? Well, if you're on the M50, definitely the best way is to use a tag because you'll pay two euros and ten cents per journey, or per you know going through the toll. Whereas if you have a video account, it'll cost you two seventy, and if you just pay as you go, it'll cost you three twenty. So there's a big difference there. Mm. Um, and, and of course, that, that I was saying at the, the meeting this morning that you, there's a smugness because when you go down the country and you can go into the right lane, the express lane, and you just <laughs> yeah, and you're fast and it's quick and everything, and you don't have to worry. But what is what I find extraordinary when you do go down the country because you get so used to the M50 and not having to deal with anyone is there's still toll plazas that don't take cars. Right. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So the M8, the Limerick Tunnel, and the East Link Bridge, and I'm sure there are drivers who may not use those at all and might use them one the blue moon on a holiday or something and have no idea that that's the case I would have thought that all toll plazas in Ireland would take a card Now name those again because we're at the end of this two year lockdown and and cash in our pockets has become less and less hasn't it? That's exactly it that's what I'm thinking so the M8 the Limerick Tunnel and the East Link Bridge do not accept card payments and what happens then if you if you rock up to one of those? But I'm thinking about the East Link there because you're you're sort of stuck there. You can't go anyway. If you, and you don't have the cash, uh, you present your debit card. They say we don't accept those. What, what happens then? I don't know. I mean, like in most cases, they can't send you back because those those roads you can't just turn around <laughs> on one of those roads and you know go back. So I have no idea what actually happens, but it seems extraordinary that there is no facility because, as you say, particularly during COVID, we all became very conscious of not handling cash. So I'm sure it happens. Yeah. Uh, I want you, if you don't mind, um, uh, Geraldine, and you can, you can use it in the Sunday Independent when you find out the information, but I want to know where that €816,000 goes. Because so do I. So yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not I'm going to lose sleep over this. Right? It's, it's, this is a big amount of money. It is a big amount. It's not as, it's not as if they're not making profit. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I mean, even when you balance the amount of people who don't pay their tolls, you know, who manage to evade it, they're still making money. Yes. Yeah. And, and I would feel a little bit better when I overpay them if I knew it was going to some deserving cause. 
Yes, exactly. Right. That uh, has yet to be established. Right, okay. We'll talk to you. Keep us posted. Uh, I will indeed. Geraldine Thanks, Harbour from Sunday Independent. Mind yourself. See you, Geraldine. Bye. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Tweet at Radio Ray RTE. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Now, Limerick Tunnel does take uh, debit and credit cards just so you know. Uh, now, we will be doing the quiz today. We're going to do it about quarter past four, so we're looking for two people to come on and take part in our Reeling in the Ears quiz. We've bit the songs, TV shows, movies, news reports, and we're looking for two people to answer uh, questions on three clips that will, they will hear in their ears. We call it our Reeling in the Ears quiz. And there is a prize. And this week, the lovely people at the Wilder Townhouse um, have offered us a stay to give to you. Uh, the Wilder, one of Dublin's finest residence only townhouses, is nestled uh, in beautifully manicured gardens close to the famous Ivy Gardens and nearby St. Stephen's Green, up there around Harco Street. Uh, it's steeped in history, lovingly restored, offers a luxurious experience for every guest coming through its welcoming doors. The Wilder, it's called. So we're looking for two people to come on, answer three questions each, but first you have to answer a qualifying question. Uh, can you name the online five-letter daily puzzle that is the latest craze people are playing? Um, can you name the online, it's a word puzzle, five-letter daily word puzzle that is the latest craze people are playing? Um, 0818 715 925. 0818 715 925. And we'll be talking to you at about quarter past four. Uh, Anish, Tosh, now in the brief skeleton and Oakley, the Cart to Wallish. Gurmada, good Cart. Thank you very much. Uh, 51551 Ray at rte.ie. Now, First Dates Ireland returned to RT2 last Thursday and we met some new faces, including the new First Dates bartender, Neil Kenna. And Neil has come into the radio uh, centre and he's in a booth down the corridor. Uh, how are you doing, Neil? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's an honour. Yeah, so... so you, <laughs> I don't really believe that. But, 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 <laughs> you young people <laughs> and your false compliments. Thanks for young. <laughs> so you've been, you've been flirting with First States for quite some time, Neil. Uh, yes, not intentionally, though. It just kind of happened, I guess, most of the time. So, so you, 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 did you audition for or try out for the bartender a number of years ago? Uh, a few, like many years ago, about five, I think it was. Um, yeah. A manager at the time asked me if uh, I would go on as a waiter. And I said, yeah, sure, of course. And then he comes back to me the next day and he's like, oh, you can't go on because I have to go to electric picnic. <laughs> so I was like, all right, OK, that's grand. There's my dreams ruined. <laughs> and that was kind of it. And then I um, actually applied to go on the show as a dater. This year, back in um, back in March, it was for the crack, because I was like, here, put your money where your mouth was. I, I'm that type of person when I go on and you see reality TV, I'm like, oh, I could do that. Right. I could easily do that. And then this time I kind of did. And then I was going on as a dater. And uh, then they asked me to try it for the bartender position. How does one do that? What sort? Of, how does that audition go? Uh, so they just asked me to send in a video of me making a cocktail. <laughs> and uh, my friend uh, recorded it for me. Right. That, and I just sent it on through. Then that was it. I didn't even make a cocktail. I just um, randomly put some stuff into a cocktail shaker and just started shaking and talked. There was a series of questions I had to answer while I was while making, making the, cocktail. the cocktail just yeah. to prove you could do two things at oh, one abso- time absolutely yeah. <laughs> so you had to channel your best Tom Cruise then didn't yeah, that I it? did indeed yeah 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 did, did you watch that did you watch that movie for inspiration a many moons ago yeah that's why I became a bartender is it no no <laughs> didn't think so where are you originally from I'm originally from Durrow in County Leash aha yes County Leash yeah and, and, and you, you, that, you've been a bartender since when what, what age are you Neil I am 37 you see I could I, because you're not in front of me I can't I can't I ascertain. look 27 right right okay <laughs> so, so now you're in a situation where uh, they know that you wanted to be a dater but you're the barman. <laughs> I know. You see yeah. what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I know, yeah. And your positioning as, as as barman gives you, like, not first dibs, but it means that you're, you're, you know, you see everything that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I probably get, I'd say I probably get the sloppy seconds. Well, because if it doesn't work out on their date, I'm, I'm still there, you know? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just wondering then, so can you predict, I know you've recorded the, the, the the first, your first series of it. Uh, can you can you predict what?
what dates are going to work out? Have you have you had a good success rate on that? Um, no, well, I've only seen the one, but like I mean, even the the uh, couple that were on the first, I thought they would, and they didn't. They only kind of were keeping in touch. But I think you know when there's you're having a few drinks and that, I think you know when you wake up the next day, then it's probably you probably have a different view on it. Yeah, maybe you know. But mm. there's there's a few that when they do come on, I'm like, please stay. Please say that you're still together. Do you know what I mean? I really am. Yeah, you're hoping. Yeah, you're rooting for them. Definitely. You're rooting yeah, for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So where did the other guy go? Ethan? I have no idea. Right. Um, I just figured that they couldn't find a match for me, so they put me in behind the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and you continue now, because, like, you know, you're going to have a high profile now. Yes. Yeah, you've thought about that, have you? I Well, I did not. I didn't have time to think about it. And it kind of all kicked off last week. And then it kind of became a reality. It was like, oh God, I'm kind. Of, I was kind of everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, and I didn't. I didn't anticipate for that. I guess. I tell you, uh, you're 37. Yes. And you were going on first dates. This is this is where the little <laughs> little session starts. The little therapy session. So, uh, so explain yourself, or what 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 went on, or what's happened, or just did why? Well, like that. I think that week I had a string of bad dates. Right. And then an ad came up on my um, Instagram uh, to apply for the show and I just kind of went for it for the crack and I didn't think I'd get any farther, to be honest. Is it a difficult, is it a difficult profession, being a barman, to, to hold down a relationship? Uh, yes, I will say that because the hours are very, um, the hours are different and if you're not with somebody that works within the industry, then it's very hard for them to understand when you come home at three or four in the morning. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. So it does put a strain on it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you, you'll be watching it tonight, will you? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, this is the second one tonight uh, on RTE2. Well, well, I, I, so you don't have a tradition, but will you will, will you be on your own? Will you what, what, get well, a takeaway? Uh, well, you, you kind of have to be on your own with the COVID crack. Do you know yes, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. That? Um, but yeah, tonight I am not, I'll be on my own watching it, yes, for sure. Right, okay. Uh, so it's first day, it's episode two um, of the current season and uh, Neil Kenna is the new barman. Uh, Neil, uh, congratulations if that's the word and, and good luck with the series. <laughs> Thank great you very much. Okay, Neil. Thank you. Good luck. Bye-bye. See you. Bye, bye, bye. Uh, we'll take a quick commercial break. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Email ray at rte.ie The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Uh, Eastling takes cards as well. A paid gesture by cards, Zayman. So, uh, yeah. So obviously they're updating as we go. So any more information about uh, tolls that accept credit and debit cards, please 51551 or ray at rte.ie. And everyone says hi on RTE Radio 1. It's time for Reeling in the Ears a bit later than normal. And we have a prize, which is a lovely break in the Wilder Townhouse in Dublin City Centre. Uh, It's there near the Ivy Gardens, which is a well-kept secret. Um, and it's very close to St Stephen's Green and everything that you need to have access to in Dublin city centre. It's a Victorian townhouse steeped in history and lovingly restored, offers a luxurious experience for every guest coming through its welcoming doors. It could be, well, it will be one of our contestants today. We say hello to Fiona Driscoll. How are you doing, Fiona? How are you, Ray? Good. Uh, you're finishing a bit of bacon. I'm doing a bit of baking for my, 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 my little man. He's 15 today, so I just finished off a chocolate cake. To talk about trying to figure out which chocolate cake to cook or which yeah. chocolate cake to make. <laughs> there, there's a great array of chocolate cakes. So which one did you, <laughs> which one did you decide on in the end? I actually went with the recipe from Bally Maloo right. um, that they claim that they've been baking for 30 years. So I thought that can't fail, surely. And look, it rose. That was the main thing. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's one that we make at home for special occasions, a chocolate cake, but it, it's it's sort of a it's a number of recipes put together. So, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So instead of instead of putting the the, the icing over, it, uh, we we put a chocolate a chocolate sauce, if you like, and it. A chocolate, a hot you know, chocolate hot, sauce. Yeah, hot chocolate. You you melt the chocolate, Ooh. and then when it so you you it gets. I think you mix it with cream and you mix it. Yeah. And then you, you pour it in the centre of the cake and it, it sort of eases, oozes down over oh. the sides of it, you see. Oh, and, and, then when it, and then when it cools, <laughs> when it cools, it has this lovely, shiny finish on it. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yes. Don't tell me that now because I'll have to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm, sure you, I'm sure yours is lovely. 
And it's it's, it's made with love, Fiona, isn't that it's the made, thing? It's made with love and a couple of curses thrown in as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and will there but be, will done, there be cream with that, fresh cream with that? Or what, what way will you serve well, it? Well, I, I don't know because like it's it's chocolate butter icing. So oh, I don't yes, know yes, whether yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, might be rich, it might be rich enough. There's an awful lot of chocolate gone into it. Right, okay, uh, right. For, for low... For low-fat uh, January, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, sure. Birthdays, you get a dispensation on a birthday, I think. That's the, that's, that's the rule. That's written in the Constitution. Don't you know that? I, I absolutely <laughs> think so. Absolutely think so, So yeah. he's 15, Rowan. Uh, he's 15. Yeah, and who else in the family? We have his, his older sister, Leah. She's 16. And then Evan is 12. Right. So, yeah, that's, there's a lot going on there in your house. Um, yeah. Is, is, how many have got exams, if any? So, Ro- <laughs> well, Rowan is in junior search year, but you wouldn't you wouldn't think it of him, you know. <laughs> he hasn't really copped on yet. Right, and okay. uh, so, from talking to various parents, I think it's best to leave him alone, and maybe he'll slide into it by the time his leaving start comes around. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, talking to somebody yeah. yesterday who who got something like this. They were telling me they got four Ds in their junior search, and then they got straight A's in their leaving search. So you, you know, know you can't, not- look. It's 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 um it's there's pressure enough on them. They've had a you know horrible couple of years yeah. with, with, with all of this and remote learning and so on and so forth. So it's hard to get students motivated. I, I really feel for them. I really do. So I'm just kind of trying to let him to his own devices. Okay. But a li- even a little bit of effort would be a nice thing at this stage. <laughs> Happy birthday, Rowan. And <laughs> remember, you. the junior starts around the corner. You're up against Agnes O'Brien in Limerick. How are you doing, Agnes? Hi, Ray. How are things? Great. Yeah, um, so great. You, can you name the online five-letter daily word puzzle that is the latest craze people are playing? Wordle. Wordle, yes. Have you done it? I haven't. I was telling the girl, um, it just keeps coming up on my Twitter feed. It started off, people were saying, can all the 40-somethings please stop sharing their Wordle? And now, <laughs> yeah, and now everybody is saying, if I can't beat them, I'm just going to have to join them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's hard. Have you played it, Fiona? Yeah, I'm hooked. I have to say, I'm yeah. one of those people. Initially, when I, I thought, what's this new fad now that everybody's at? And now I'm hooked and it's really annoying and it's really frustrating. And yesterday it was awful because it was an American spelling yes, of a word, yes, yeah, which yeah. made it even more difficult. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so simple and it's, it's just great. I just, I, I just love it. I Agnes, have you have to do it. You have to do it, Agnes. You have yeah. to do it. Yeah, you have yeah. to do it. You have yeah, to you do have it. To. Yeah, yeah. And it's old school and it's a bit of fun and it's one a day. You're not going to get sucked into a rabbit hole of it. You're not going to be spending hours on your phone doing it. No. Um, no. Yeah, and you can get help from the... Who's at home? In, here in Limerick, I have Sennan is at home and John and then I have my, hopefully my junior surf boy, Tyg is listening. He's in the barber. It's very important. Right. Okay. <laughs> so you have three boys? Three boys, three farmers. Right. Okay. What sort of a farm is it? A dairy farm. Right. Uh, near Foynes in County Limerick. Uh, yes. You, are you, can you see the sea? Are you near the sea? Or? We're two miles. Right. That's nice, isn't it? Is there yeah, a, it's is nice. There, is there a beach in Foynes? There is a stony beach. Uh, port is very busy. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, so you'd, you'd, if you're going to the beach for a day, you'd travel elsewhere. Is that what you're saying? Go to Ballybunion. Ballybunion. Oh, yeah, yeah, just down the road in Kerry. Yeah, of course, yeah. North Kerry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, now, uh, you know the deal. So it's reeling in the ears. We've uh, three clips each for you. If you go for a long clip, you get one point. If you go for a shorter clip, it's more difficult. So you get two points. And whoever has the most points at the end uh, gets the prize. So good luck to you both. Uh, Fiona and Sandy Cove and Agnes and Limerick. And we go to Fiona in Sandy Cove first. So, the year is 1987, Fiona. Okay. I don't know if that's good or bad in your world. Um, And we're starting in the movies. So, would you like a long clip or a short clip? Uh, Short clip. Short clip. Okay. So, you're going for the two-pointer. In 1987, this movie starred Robin Williams as a morning radio DJ, DJ working for the US Army during the Vietnam War. Can you name the movie uh, for two points? And here's your short clip. Hey, is this a little too early for being that loud? Hey, too late. Yeah, so that's Good Morning Vietnam. It is Good Morning Vietnam, yes. Two points, well done. Now, Agnes, still in 1987, still at the movies. Uh, Would you like a long clip or a short clip? Uh, Short. Short, okay. Steve Martin and John Candy star as an unlikely duo trying to make it home during the holidays. Can you name this 1987 comedy? And here is your short clip for two points. You spill beer all over the bed, you smoke, you, you, you mess up the bathroom. Well, who let you stay in the room? 
my nose. Um. So, Steve Martin, John Candy, an unlikely duo trying to make it home during the holidays. Oh. Any ideas? No. No, sorry. No. It's modes of transport, as in planes, trains, and oh. automobiles. That's okay. what we're looking for. Okay. Uh, right, Fiona, second question for you. Um, it's music from 1987. Uh, so, do you want to go long or short? Uh, short. Short again, right, okay. Uh, so, this song was a huge hit in 1987 for an Irish band. So, we need the name of the song or the name of the band. And here's your short clip for two points. So that's you too. Yes, it is. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You get two points. Yeah. Now, Agnes, you're yes. under a lot of pressure here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it comes to going for a one-pointer or a two-pointer, you don't have a choice, really. So you have okay. to go for a two-pointer to stay in with a chance. Okay. I, I've done the maths for you in my head. Okay, okay, so it's still music, still 1987. Uh, in 1987, this song was the Eurovision winner and was Ireland's third time winning the title. So the name of the song and the name of the singer, and here's your short clip for two points. So tonight, let's fill this memory. Johnny Logan, hold me now. It is two points. You're on the scoreboard. Right, now Yay. it's interesting. Now it's interesting. Uh, okay. Fiona, you're on four. Agnes is on two. Um, uh, coming to the final question and I I suppose you can make it uninteresting very quickly as in become the winner if you go for a one pointer and get it right and then Agnes can't catch it Uh, but if you answer incorrectly then Agnes has a chance if she goes for a two pointer to bring us to a tie break situation okay okay so what's it going to be um, short clip Sure, you're going short You don't have to But you're going short clip Okay uh, In the news from 1987 uh, This woman was re-elected As Prime Minister of the UK For the third term It's sort of easy enough Isn't it? Here's your short yeah. clip It is a great honour To be returned once again There you go There's good old Maggie Thatcher It is Margaret Thatcher For a clean sheet Six out of possible six Agnes, you're up against Strong opposition today Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send you out uh, two Ray Darcy Show mugs. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, and, and it was lovely talking to you today. And enjoy, Fiona. Fiona. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I was just letting my, 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 my other son in school. Ray, thanks so much. Okay, That's no, brilliant. I'm delighted with that. Yeah, uh, Agnes, well done. Fiona, you're on your way to uh, the, the Wilder Townhouse in Dublin City Centre. Um, and it, it sounds like a lovely place to go. And cocktails from their gin bar, full home-cooked breakfast. And you're there right smack in the middle of things, but not really because you're surrounded by beautifully manicured gardens. So it sounds Fantastic. lovely. Fantastic. Okay. I'll raise it last to you when I'm there. Thank you so much. Okay. Right. Bye now. Cheers. Bye. Well done. Well done. Uh, so that's, uh, we'll do that again tomorrow. Real in the ears. And well done to Fiona O'Driscoll there in Sandy Cove in Dublin. Now, we were talking with Neve Patrick at the beginning of the show about the murder um, of Ashling Murphy. And uh, we got uh, loads of uh, reaction to that. And we can't get to all of it. Uh, but let's see what we can do just before we go, before drive time. Um, is every woman bawling her eyes out today for that gorgeous girl? Let us have chats with the men in our lives. We cannot continue living in fear. Um, that's a retired heartbroken teacher in tip. Uh, there will be a vigil for Ashling in Tullamore Town Park, County Offaly, tomorrow Friday, the 14th of January at four o'clock. Uh, spread the word. And that comes in from uh, Cloda Lowry. Uh, and uh, I just said to my 18-year-old son, men have to call it out if someone else is taunting uh, girls. And he said, well, of course, ma'am, surely most men know that. Uh, But really, I wonder, do they, says that person. And I'm crying all day uh, thinking about Ashling Murphy and would like her family to know I feel their pain. What a beautiful young woman. Uh, So very sad. I have a granddaughter, same age, and I'm so worried for her safety. Uh, R.I.P. And Therese says, as I walk my routine walk, my tears are streaming down for Ashling and her family. Uh, as our, uh, as our, everyone around the country is, um, I feel. Uh, everyone is grieving for Ashling. That's Therese. And my wife's name is Ashling. My son's girlfriend's name is Ashling. My daughter is the same age as Ashling Murphy. I'm driving around the country today and I'm pulling over every hour to have a good cry for myself. Uh, please let our family, friends and community know that we are all behind them from a heartbroken man. Uh, God bless Manon Ahern. And... Uh, 
Just thought that, yes, it's great that women will meet uh, in Dublin at four o'clock tomorrow, but I think it would be a good idea to have the good men of Ireland meet and walk for the same reason. I'm sure they would love to be involved. Lots of them are. Uh, married, uh, have partners, wives, children, female friends, etc. We need to include these men in their way, whatever way they choose, says Fiona. And I'm sure the vigils that have been organised aren't excluding men and, and, and men definitely should um, go along to the various uh, uh, vigils that are happening tomorrow at four o'clock around the country. Uh, my youngest daughter, who is very similar in age to Ashling, regularly goes out for a walk, often after dark, somewhere in South Dublin. Uh, I'm always a little nervous about this, but she never seems to be put out. And I keep wondering if the rare event will happen to her. Uh, so shattering happened to Ashling and to many other women. Ironically, my five year older, my five years older son was genuinely scared on the same beat a few months ago when he thought he was being followed despite him taking measures to shake the follower. In the end, it seemed to be innocent, but it wasn't 100% certain. And my strong and fast son was definitely not the better for the experience. The father was certainly not aware about how to put people's mind at rest. Yeah, I see. We have to think about how our behaviour affects other people. Uh, 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 can you please tell me the name of the piece of music the Trad Air played immediately after your chat with Neil Fitzpatrick? It was so reflective and apt for the day that's in it. Uh, I can't get the image of Ashton out of my mind. Such a sad, sickening and senseless act. Uh, she had so much to offer. Uh, her whole life cut off in its prime, says Catherine. Um, and uh, can we do a countrywide show of solidarity at four tomorrow? Yes, we we can. Uh, and we're, we're, we're thinking about how we can involve our listeners in that tomorrow. Uh, the, the, the piece of music was a piece of music by Colin McInumra, uh and it's called Emer's Dream uh, in English, but Colin McInumra is is an Irish speaker. So on the album listing, you will see it as um, Ashling Emer. Ashling Emer is what it's called and we'll just play out on a bit of that and then we're going to uh, drive time with Cormac and Sarah. It's the Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1.